Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 8 of Subspace Communique's Life After Trek. I'm your host, Chris, or Captain Pike, uh, Chief Editor of Subspace Communique. With me here, as always, is Charity, or Crewman Becky. Hi, hi. Uh, tonight, we actually have a really cool interview for you guys, something we've been working on for a little while. I've been trying to get them on the show, actually, since we started the, the Life After Trek series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Aaron Eisenberg on the program tonight. Um, we actually got to talk to Aaron for about 50 minutes. Uh, he gave us a lot of insight into his time on Deep Space Nine, uh, also with uh, his current projects and what he's doing now. Uh, but Aaron was a fantastic interview. Oh, yeah, it was totally awesome. One of our best interviews so far. Uh, and uh, he's uh, really enthusiastic about what he's doing now and his time on Star Trek. It seems like Aaron really enjoyed his time playing Nog. Yeah, again, we had a fantastic time interviewing Aaron, and we hope you guys enjoy the show. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Uh, we have a very special guest today uh, that all of you guys know and love. He's actually the youngest of the Ferengi fam- uh, family uh, and an absolute fan favorite of the DS9 crew. We'd like to welcome Aaron Eisenberg to the program. Hey Aaron, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, this is really awesome. We're super stoked to have you here. Um, we've had uh, some other DS9 uh uh, cast not regulars we've had tony todd and jeffrey combs and some other folks so this is a this is a true treat for us to have a regular from ds9 well thank you i mean i'll have to correct you there though i was not actually a regular i was all i was still a recurring character gotcha well to us you seem like a regular <laughs> Definitely. well i wish i was i mean when terry left the show i was i was i was hoping that summer oh they're gonna call me They'll give me the contract, and then they, they hired Nicole, who's awesome as well, but I was obviously quite disappointed. Sure, sure. That makes sense. And Well, the thing to us, though, and, and a lot of fans out there, um, for characters like Nog uh, or some of the other characters uh, that we really, really like, you have some of the most special episodes of Deep Space Nine and stuff that's, that resonates with fans and resonates with us. So to us, not knowing the acting business and, and the politics of it, how it works, that kind of stuff. Uh, those characters stand out to us, and they seem like a major part of the stories and the story arcs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, most definitely. I mean, I, I give that all up to the writers. You know, they, you know, our show wasn't really the most popular at the time. I think people weren't used to this style the show had set, which was kind of like a space opera, if you will. Sure. You know, um, and and it was really fleshed out with so many characters rather than your usual five or six that, you know, which by usually contract for the regulars are in every show. But, but the core, the, I mean, in my, point in, in my point of view, the writers really fleshed it all out by, by all the supporting characters and, and gave it such life. And I, I think that's what was quite different about that show. And then you had a, a continuity many times from, from episode to episode or at third episode to the fifth episode or what have you, which put it, that show a little off kilter for, for the usual of what people uh, expected from Star Trek. And I think now, as people go back and revisit it on DVD, on TV, I, I think they start to realize what a gem it really was. And, and, you know, Ira, I mean, he put his heart and soul into that show. I'm, I mean, and Ron Moore, they, they were just awesome, awesome people. And we were very, very, very fortunate to have writers like that on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And it showed, and not, not to... Uh downplay the writers too much but you know the acting you included uh, was stellar as well 
Well, again, yeah, th- that's true. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I don't mean that pretentiously, but I meant, I meant to take it to back to the writers because they gave us such great things to work with. Right. You know, we did have a great cast and we did have uh, wonderful actors, but sometimes we're also can only do with what we've got. Well, we can only do as good as what we've got to work with. Right. And and they they just gave us great stuff to work with. I mean, I, every time I they kept me in the show, I, they just kept giving me more and more good stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> this is awesome. I mean, sure, uh, yeah. I, I was very lucky, very very lucky. I was very honored. So, and it, it definitely came across on the screen too. So you actually started your acting career uh, at a younger age, your, your later teens. What brought you into acting? Well, I mean, I. I actually started when I was 17. Um, I started to get into it because at that time I looked 11 years old. And obviously I was very small, too, for my age. And for most of my life, I was made fun of for being as small as I was. Sure. And someone said, you know, you should get into acting. Oh, you make a ton of money. And I thought to myself, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> well, I figure out, you know, I go to college or I figure out what else I want to do. I, I didn't have... I really did not have aspirations of be- becoming an actor. As a matter of fact, when I was younger, um, I, and I don't know why I had this perception, but I had this perception that actors were terrible parents because they're never home. Mm. They're always gone. They're always on TV. They're always working. They're always doing some kind of showbiz thing. So I thought, well, I'll never do that because <laughs> I want to be a good dad because um, uh, not to put my dad down, he passed away when I was 15, but he really wasn't, in my life as much as I wanted him to be in my sure. life. Mm-hmm. So I grew up wanting to be better than that. So it was ironic that I ended up falling in love with acting when the person said, oh, you should get into it. I took a class, and to be honest, I fell in love with it. I just like, this is so fun. And for the first time in my life, people were complimenting me for being small or looking so young. I'm like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. You can go <laughs> work you forever. You should really think about it. Sure. And then I just, honestly, I, I fell in love with it. I just fell in love with it. And, and then again, ironically, when I was on Star Trek, it was the best gig in the world because I wasn't a regular, so I wasn't working, you know, every episode, five or six or eight days of that episode. I would work two or three days per episode that I worked on. And I worked a lot that I was making really good money. And my, when my first son was born, I was home all the time. Oh, that's so, fantastic. So it was really funny how I achieved both goals that I wanted. Uh, you know, uh, it was very, very interesting how that happened. So. Yeah, definitely. And had you done any stage work uh, before that? How did you? Um, I had. I had previously to Star Trek. Um, not as much as I would say um, most of my other actors, co-stars on the show, like Armin, who and, and Jeff, who you know, very big theater and, sh- and Shakespearean actors and, and um, uh, who else am I thinking of? Um, Casey Biggs. Um, a lot of that, you know, Star Trek really looks for those kinds of actors, especially when you're in makeup because you have to be larger than life um, in makeup. You've, you've got to it, not necessarily overact. I don't mean that way because that would be very trivial, but I meant you've got to be able to understand how to make the makeup and the character work work all as in one, so to speak. Sure. Um, I, I'm not sounding very eloquent right now, so forgive me. But, but when you, when you have theater actors, you know, in order to reach the last 
the last seat in the back, you've got to be larger than life without, you know, looking comical and, and, and overacting. So you've got to be able to project and, and have a persona that's a little bit larger than, than the TV is than the TV screen would normally give you without makeup, you know, um, or even the movie screen, which is, you know, they want you even more subtle, so to speak. And I'm really trivializing the three tiers, quote-unquote, of acting from theater to TV to film. You know, in, in theater, they're a lot larger than life, a lot bigger. You're, you're on the stage, so you, you've, you've got bigger physical movements. You're louder because you're, you're speaking, you know, you've got to project more from your diaphragm and all this kind of stuff, and I'm trying to make myself not look stupid here, so, so forgive me. <laughs> and then when you're on TV, you can be a little bit bigger, but not as big as, as, as theater. And then when you're a film, you've really got to drop it down. And it's because the medium changes, you know, from sure. TV from a very small screen to the film, which is huge, to the stage, which is, you know, can, you, know you need to reach, reach the last uh, row. So I think Star Trek looks for those kinds of actors, especially for those character roles, because they need somebody that's, that's not just that, that can really work with the makeup and not be intimidated by it and work with the characters that they're writing and really bring life to them. And I think that's why you find those kind of actors on that, on that show. Now, going back to your original answer being on film, I mean being um, in theater, I, I had minimal um, experience in theater, but I've always been kind of a, a larger-than-life kind of personality. Um, and uh, to be honest, I've had to work at being more subtle because, you know, I'm, I, what did I hear this once? I'm, I'm like an illustrator. I'll use my hands and my gestures and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think I've always had that kind of personality. So I did do some theater, and I did do some improv at the LA Connection, which I enjoyed. And one of the theater productions I did, I, I was able to win uh, Best Supporting Role, and that was for a, a play I did out in Arizona called Minor Demons. Oh, that's great. Um, and that was all before Star Trek. Um, so I didn't have the experience, unfortunately, that some of my co-stars did, which I envied. But I was still able to step into that role and grab it by the horns and wrestle that sucker down. Well, that's, that's actually pretty interesting. You say that you're, you're larger than life, but with makeup, you have to, you have to be able to emote through it, right? That's what, what you're trying to, what you're trying to do. Absolutely. You, you, you know, I I don't, you know, there's, there's such a fine line because you could put somebody in the makeup that overacts the whole thing. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're like, (laughs) like, whoa, whoa. You're like, but I got all this makeup. You can't see what I'm doing. So it's like, yes, that's true. But you've also got to make that character as real as possible. Right. And for me with Nog, my choices were more about, I made him as human as possible. I made him, I, I took anything that he was going through. I felt, well, that's me going, you know, that whatever, you know, however acting thing might work for whatever actor, but I made him as personal as possible. And I didn't make the makeup part of that. That was just, like the shirt I was wearing. Sure. Does that does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that was an important choice because if you think oh, I got all this makeup on, they're never going to see what I'm doing. They're not going to they're not going to get it. And then you over emphasize because of that, then all of a sudden you're overacting and I think it becomes uh, a car, uh, a characterization. Right. When yeah. those characters are just as real as Cisco. Absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that's the key. And that's something that the writers needed to look for. Now, when I went into the audition, mind you, I felt like a buffoon. I had to do, you know, I, I remember Ron Serma calling me into the um, casting office, you know, 
and saying, do you know what a Ferengi is? And I'm like, I, I, I don't. I have no idea. He's like, here, re- watch this show and, and come back to the audition tomorrow. So I went home and I watched the last outpost. Okay, yeah. And if you remember that, they were very like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh my God, wow, that's so weird. Okay. So obviously the scene that I had to audition with was the scene where I kind of meet Jake Sisko. And I'm like, I know, I know who you are, human, you know, right. and stuff like that. And so I'm, I'm doing the scene as I'm rehearsing it, and I'm like scrunched over like, like an old man. I'm like, and I got my hands up, and I'm, and I'm finding this character that I think, you know, fits with what the Ferengi are. So that's kind of where I started. And then I went into the audition. Now, I don't have any makeup. So you, at this point, I do feel like I'm overacting to some degree because I'm all, you know, I'm all scowling over. I'm like, ah, I know who you, you know, and I've got some kind of scraggly kind of voice, you know, in the back of my throat. And they loved it. And I'm like, whew, wow, <laughs> that was pretty strange. You know, and I go back to my normal self. So it, that was very strange in the audition. But I never, ever felt strange um, or off kilter in any of the scenes that I did. Although Jake Sisko or Ciroc will say that I would go to him all the time and go, does this sound like the right voice? Ah, and I would do the voice. Like, yeah, <laughs> right, man. So I was always kind of re, you know, rechecking that my voice was correct. And I thought to myself, I should have never tried to do some strange voice <laughs> because now I've got to do it for, you know, seven years and make sure it's right. Sure. And now people go, do the voice and go, I got to, I got to practice. I got to go rehearse it. I got to, I got to, it's kind of like, um, fitting your hand into a glove. You know, you kind of right. got to find where your where everything fits, where it feels right. And that's what would happen to me every time I would get my costume on and the makeup was done. I'm like, I'm all here. Here it is. Here's here's Nog. You know, Nog is back. You know, that's the cool part about DS9. Sure, it, the the Ferengi characters started off um, seeming more like they were from uh, the last outpost or or other uh, next generation Ferengi, but then you guys evolved, uh, especially with bringing Chase in as a mother figure for, figure for you. Yeah, that and, that screwed me up though. Just so you know, <laughs> when, when your mother figure is is smoking hot, and she's your stepmom. You know, there, there's a story I have for that that too. Actually, I thought I remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, sure, totally. yeah. When um one of them's dad married the girl, a hot girl <laughs> right, that they went to high school with, yeah. and they're walking downstairs. And one goes, dude, that's your mom. Shut up, Ted. Dude, that's your mom. Ted, shut up. I think it was Ted. I guess it's a long time. Yeah. And, I, and I thought to myself, oh, I should tell Ron to do that same scene with me and Jake. And uh, where we're walking out and Jake's all, dude, that's your mom. Shut up, Jake. You know? And I, I never said anything to Ron because I thought, ah, they've already, they're not going to listen to me. I'm just... I'm just, you know, nog over here. They're, they're never going to listen to me. And, and when the season, when the, when the show ended, I told Ron that story, and he goes, why didn't you tell me? That's a great idea. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Oh, my God, that sucks. It would have been the best homage and the best oh, yeah. scene. It would have been perfect. Totally. That's awesome. We love that kind of inside, uh, uh-huh. to use a loose, loose yeah, term baseball Yeah, it's a style. missed opportunity, though. Yeah. Missed opportunity. That's great, yeah. But, yeah, you know, the writers, you know, I still think they kept – the, the I, you know Armin Armin would talk about this and and he he was upset because he wanted more he wanted to see the humanity that would be a better way to explain it rather than than we're more human because it's not that we're we're not human but we have humanity and I think Armin wanted to see more humanity especially in his character and and I think he relished 
the moments when they did write that for him. But but I felt I think he felt now I, I can't speak for him so so it's not fair for me to say that, but I got the impression that that there was still too much comedy. We were we were the comedy relief of the show. Right. But I felt that they took my character and separated that. And and they they gave me more humanity than anybody else than any other character, so to speak, on that show. Um, I, I, I mean, that's, I shouldn't say that any, cause I don't know all the other characters, um, arcs and stuff, but uh, of the Ferengi, um, you know, the humanity that they put in Nog was just tenfold. I mean, the, the whole, the whole journey that he took, I felt like was the journey that Star Trek wanted, you know, that, that wanted any kid in that realm to take that they never took, you know, Wesley Crusher, I guess, didn't take that same one. And, I, I mean, I didn't watch Next Generation, but, you know, he he always had the right answer, apparently, from what right. I yeah. heard. <laughs> he did, And Jake, Jake didn't want anything to do with Starfleet. And I, I think what they did with mine is is they, they did the quintessential kid join Starfleet, but it wasn't the quintessential. It was it was the offbeat one. It was the it was the Huck Finn of the Tom Sawyer that that took the that took the the higher route, so to speak. And he didn't always have the right answers, and he didn't always do the right thing. But he thought he was, and that's what made that character so strong. Was because he, in, in a sense, was so human. Because he erred, but he got back up, and he tried again. Yeah, definitely. And then when he erred again, he got back up and tried again. And he, and he, and that's what was so awesome about Nog was, was that whole. The, that whole personality about him. And yet every time I played him, I played him with the earnestness of wanting to succeed. He wanted to do the best he could. And he did it with only the tools that he had, which weren't always the right tools that he needed to succeed. So when one didn't work, he's like, oh, all right, that didn't work. And because <laughs> of his Ferengi heritage, sure. he was still a Ferengi. You know, and I remember before they, they said I was going to go to Starfleet, I thought to myself, man, all this whole kind of bartering and bantering and this whole business mentality. Imagine if he could move, transform that into like kind of a diplomat or into Starfleet and work for, use those same skills but in a positive sense. And then in a sense, they, then they did that. You know, he didn't become a diplomat, but he essentially used his same, his same, you know, Ferengi personality. They didn't, they didn't drop that. That's what was so key to making that work they didn't drop yeah, who absolutely. nog was and they made him succeed um not in despite but but at times in despite but learning how to use that which we all have to do we all have to learn how to use our own personalities to get through the things we have to get through in the world and sometimes our personalities clash with what we want we've got to figure out how to make it work yeah, it's, you know, Nog's character, like you said, uh, it was a crazy transformation, uh, not losing the Ferengi aspects of the character, but becoming the fish out of water at Starfleet and then going into battle situations and dealing with, uh, like the episode uh, AR-558, right. um, you know, him losing his leg. And then the book into that being It's Only a Paper Moon, which is one of our absolute favorite episodes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, mine as well. I mean, again, I was I was just honored that they gave me my own episode. 
uh, it was it blew me away. And and I found out later too that they were going to blow off both my legs. And, and I think Rick <laughs> said uh, that's that's too much. That's that's just too much. Let's do one. You know. And I always make a joke at conventions whenever I go and I talk about this story. I go, that's great because now I run in circles because I have a <laughs> one bionic leg that's stronger than the other. So you really screwed me up. You know. That's awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and that show was literally the, the climax for the story of Nog, at least in that series. Right. Um, and that, again, is dealing with, you know, uh, mortality, you know. And um, that's, that's what that episode was about, was, was dealing with your own mortality and making the decision which way you want to go and the time it takes somebody to make that decision. And, unfortunately, we only have an hour episode to make that decision, but... Um, I thought I thought that was really well done, and I tried to play him differently. To be honest with you, I, I tried to play him more cerebral and subdued, and tuning out the world, um, and not knowing really what to do. Which is, I think, when we all get into that kind of point, I think sometimes that's what we do. We we just kind of go inward, and and we don't know where to go, and. And sometimes some door opens and we walk through it and, and we see where that's going to take us. And we somehow, a lot of times with guidance, find our way back. And, and that's how I played Nog. And I remember reading a few reviews afterwards, and I'm overly sensitive. I'm very overly sensitive. And I care very deeply about the work that I do. And some people praise my work and others are like, oh, it looks like I was too much for him. He couldn't handle it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Sure, yeah. I wasn't intimidated by it. And I don't think they got what I was trying to do. And then other people did. And, and I was still kind of a little upset by, by some of those. And then I was doubting myself and all that. And then as the years have gone by, the strongest compliments I've gotten were some from people, of, uh, war veterans, that said, you nailed it. You, that was it. I've seen that. I've seen that so many times. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, I... That that's the highest compliment right there. You know, it's like, well, that's that was my goal. That my goal was to, and I've, obviously, I've never been in war. I've never been, uh, you know, in any kind of situation like that. The only way I could relate to it was through my own experience of um, having a kidney transplant and being on dialysis and, and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I what I went back to was thinking about what did it feel like for me to be in that situation? What would it feel like for Nog to literally? feel like his whole world is coming to an end at this point and he doesn't know where to go or what to do because uh, you know when he when he lost his leg it wasn't about the leg right. it was about knowing oh shit i could die mm-hmm. i could die doing this this isn't just about me you know stepping away from my family and finding my own path this is about my mortality and what what do i really want maybe it's easier just to go back and run a bar uh, or do nothing, or you know, live in a hollow suite. Ah, oh, that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> I'll just do that, and then I don't have to deal with anything. And um, so I, I took it. I just analyzed it in that kind of sense, and and then put myself into that. And, and how would I, how would I be? How would it feel? And so, and that scene with um, Jimmy, you know, when I was uh, that was I was one of the most powerful scenes I've ever had the pleasure of doing and um it was all real it was all real for me and i remember anson going let's do it again i'm like are you kidding are you kidding i was about to kill him and and at one time i i and it was funny the second to the last take i did it he's like one more and i almost walked off the set i was like screw it screw you that's all i got that's all i got i was so i was at the at the end there i'm like that's it yeah i bet you were spent yeah 
something inside me said, don't do that. <laughs> Turn around. <laughs> and then that was the last take. And, oh, you well. know. Yeah, I think maybe people that haven't experienced depression, uh, maybe not from you know, a battle situation, but just any kind of depression in their life. If they haven't experienced that, then maybe it's only a paper moon doesn't ring true. I I know tons of people, uh, me included, that have dealt with stuff in our lives. And when I watch that episode, it is like crystal clear. And that's what's super cool about about Star Trek, uh, especially that episode. It's taking an ultimately human story, uh, putting it in a science fiction setting, uh, and just making it ring as clearly true as it can. So yeah, it, it's like I said, it's it's one of our absolute favorites, mm-hmm. and we're and, and you know what the writers the writers wrote a great show. You know, also um, they they wrote all of that. You know, I didn't improvise all that. They sure. wrote you know the A the B to the C to the D. Um, so they they you know they gave me a, a very easy path to follow. And you know one of the things that I think relates so well to so many people about Star Trek is one of the things that it demonstrates. And I, I just, I said this a little bit earlier. I just want to repeat it is the humanity and the different races, um, that exist, that coexist. Uh, and and you, you take it into our real world, you know, when we've got all our different, you know, nationalities and races throughout the world and yet how much we ostracize or separate or, um, treat people differently because of their different cultures. We forget that we forget the humanity in those, mm-hmm. in all the different people around the world. And one of the things that Star Trek, I think, really, at least you know, I would say all of them, is it shows the humanity. It shows the good, the bad, and the ugly in in all races across the board where all of a sudden there isn't really, no one really looks different. If you close your eyes, we're all the same. We all react to say we might have a different philosophy or in a different path to find the answer to the same problem, but there's humanity in everybody. And I, and I think Star Trek shows that. And, and a, a kid Frangi can get just as depressed and withdrawn and deal with it. Just like, uh, the human across the uh, the table who goes through the same process, totally. and maybe that person handles it differently than Nog does, you know. But that's how they wrote it, and you know, God bless those writers; they just kept me working. Yeah. So, a couple technical questions about Deep Space Nine. We understand that the set was the largest uh, TV set that that Paramount had built. What was your experience coming onto that set for the first time? Oh, you know, it's funny. I, I, I mean, it was pretty awe-inspiring, but I, I have to admit, I, I, you know, I've worked on other shows and other things before, and it, I was just like, oh, I'm on another set. So yeah. I wasn't like going, wow, this is the biggest ever. I honestly <laughs> didn't even know. Okay. I, I just, I mean, after all the movies and TVs I've seen, I, you know, I'm a huge movie fan, and, and I, I don't know, I, I've been on sets where they've built things off of, you know, I don't know, it was just another show for sure. me. That makes sense. I didn't actually yeah. look at it in that context. Um... You know, I mean, I'm glad I didn't have to do blue screen for eight years, oh, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad that they built it. I mean, what, uh, you know, like I, I could imagine doing something like 300 or, or um, what's that new show that I really enjoy, uh, Blood and uh, Sand, uh, Spart- Spartacus. Okay. Um, you know, that looks like it's all, you know, they're doing most of their stuff blue screen. That would be pretty intimidating. I think that would be more difficult, to be honest. I mean, it's very easy to jump on the, on the uh 
on Deep Space Nine on on the bar and and up and up all the rafters and all that, and you're in the world. It's very they they make it very easy for you. But mm-hmm. blue screen is a lot more difficult. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine. It's all uh, within your mind at that moment. You're not actually interacting with physical objects in a you know real world yeah, situation. It, 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 it is a challenge. It is a challenge. But, I mean, actors, you know, they're, they're very, you know, um, imaginative people for the most part, you know. So, so it, it's not too far out of the realm to imagine that they're talking, you know, to somebody that's not there. I mean, we rehearse all the time. We're, we're talking to somebody that's not there. But, <laughs> but, but working with actors is always preferable. It's always nice to actually work with other actors. Sure, I bet, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and the, we know we all know that the makeup process was very extensive for the Ferengi characters. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience for you, and what was your earliest uh, call that you had? Well, um, I always had early calls. I mean, the majority of my calls were 4, 4.30, 5, 5.30. Oh, wow. um, but I didn't, you know, when you're getting paid to do what you love to do, sure. you're not really complaining about being there so early. I mean, and, and all that does is really work in my favor because then I would get overtime or I'd get time and a half or, you know, all these kinds of extra things added to my check. So it was all <laughs> sweet, you know. Yeah, it worked out. Um, it did start at three hours and then and then after, after a while they got it down to an hour and a half and, and I had a terrific makeup artist. I mean, actually I had many different makeup artists and they were all fantastic. They were all great. They were always there on time. They were always had a great, great attitude, and and then they did their job and they did it well. Um, Camille was my main one, my main um, uh, makeup artist. And sometimes, if she had time at the end of the day when she took it off, she would put a nice hot towel on my head, and <laughs> I felt really nice. So the, the hardest thing about the makeup, to be honest, was when you're in the the tenth, eleventh, twelfth to fifteenth hour. It's starting to itch more, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, especially if you're hot and it's sweaty and then the sweat uh, rolls beneath the makeup. Oof. And that, that's where, it, that's the only time it really got tough for me was in those moments. But, but those are, are far outshadowed by the amount of fun and, and joy I had working on that show. You know, I mean, some of the, those are the best years of my life other, other than my boys coming to my life. You know, those, I was just, I was just very, very fortunate. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know, we could honestly, being DS9 fans, we could talk about this for hours. Uh, but yeah. we definitely <laughs> want to talk about your photography that you're doing now. Have you always been into photography? Well, it's actually videography. And, and the reason why that came into play was because um, I honestly wanted to get into making movies. Um, and the last couple of years, this is – a lot of people actually don't know this part. I think this freaked out my writers. Um, at Paramount, they had a page program. Um, that would be a stepping stone into other production offices or getting into production. That would be one way to trying to get into production. So in the last few years of Star Trek, I knew that the show was coming to an end, and, and my goal was actually to get into production and make movies. That's, that's what I wanted to do. I've always loved movies, and I always wanted to make them and be a part of that world in some capacity, uh, whether it's a, a producer or you know a director or what have you. Um, but unfortunately I didn't go to college. I, I went straight into acting, so I didn't have any college degree and I didn't, you know, get, get to go to USC film school. Um, so when the show was coming to an end and I had, at this point I had two boys, my priorities began to shift and I didn't, and I knew that if I got into production, which I've always been the type of person that if I kind of set my sights on something, I would find a way to get it. I, I you know, I right. would find a way to get it. And 
one of my goals at, at the end of the show was I did not want to not be in my boys' lives. Right. Uh, there was no way I was going to be gone 12 to 15 hours every day and then see them, if I'm lucky, on one day on the weekend and then restart every week the same way or fly off to what have you and be gone all the time mm-hmm. just for some money and, and prestige and, and a career. So the, I scratched that. That wasn't going to work. I said, That's, I'm not going to do that. And I had to figure out what else I was going to do. And obviously I didn't have any... Uh, college degree or any other skills. So what I what I thought I would do was set up a videography company that would keep me home, teach me more about you know editing Final Cut Pro and all that kind of stuff, and allow me to have my own company and my own um, schedule, so I could still go on auditions that might come by. That's and then cool. as they got older, I would have then have been able to know a little bit more about some other stuff and and hopefully push into something else uh, eventually when, you know, they're starting to get out of the home. So that's, that's really how it started. Um, you know, this isn't, you know, the videography company wasn't my passion, acting was, but my priority switched from that to my boys and being a dad. And I was really at a crux in my life because, you know, when your priority becomes and, and, and your main goals become being a, a, a good father and being home with your kids, you can't make money at that. Right. So how do you make money and achieve that goal? And it was very, it was a really difficult time, actually. Um, and then auditions really started to wane. Uh, the reality business came in pretty hard at that time. Mm. So not only was I, you know, a character type, which gets few roles, few auditions to begin with, but now there were few shows to audition for right. because of all the reality. So it was a very difficult time. And it was a good thing I did start that company because that's kind of my the meat and potatoes of the money that I make. Uh, unfortunately, I auditioned so so little that I can't even really focus too much on that unless something just comes through and I get lucky because I've got to you know pay my mortgage and take care of my boys. So yeah. it's actually been very difficult, and and I think that's what happens a lot as I watch you know, all the, all these child actors that are losing it, you know, or get into alcohol and, and, and they lose their way because, because the the rug is kind of pulled out from under them. They work on a show for eight years and then they think, great, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get another one. and I'm going to do all this other stuff. And, and it's a very difficult road. And if that's all you got, I, it's so easy to just to fall. Sure. It really yeah. is. And I see that happen time and time again to child actors, because essentially I was a child actor. You know, I might have been an adult, but I was playing a kid. And through all my auditioning, they saw me as a kid. So in a way, not working for several years has been very good, because now there's a casting director like the CSI casting director has brought me back twice now and looks at me as a 30-something character actor, where 10 years ago they weren't looking at me that way. Right. Yeah. So... As my kids get older, I'm hoping that the pendulum starts to swing back a little bit because I, I think, I think, I mean, I think this cast director likes me and brought me in for something that didn't say five feet tall, you know, oh, for fantastic. CSI. Yeah. And that was last week. Now, I didn't get it, but she brought me in. And I, I, I think I did well. I hope I did well. <laughs> we're sure, we're sure you <laughs> yeah, did. Totally. Yeah, totally. Well, you never know. You never know. So, so anyway, so that's kind of how I got to this point. And, and that's my, you know, my bread and butter, but, uh, you know. Do you do much of the photography yourself, or did you before you brought in? I have a in? partner. Uh, it's me and my partner uh, run our company together. Okay. And, and, and here's another a good thing that came from running this company. Well, 
you know, I've been on Screen Actors Guild of Health Insurance up until this month. It ends this month. So I've been able to keep my insurance all these years oh, that's somehow. Fantastic. I've been that's on fantastic. Cobra for the past couple, but I've been able to keep it. And because of this company, I was able to get group health, group health insurance through the company, which will start April 1st when this one ends. That's awesome. Which that's awesome, is, yeah. Well, it's more than awesome. I, I have a kidney transplant. I have to have health sure. insurance. Yeah. I have to have medication. Oh, yeah. So... It was huge, huge. Otherwise, I'd be working at the Apple store in addition to right. working as a waiter somewhere yeah. else and doing three jobs, you know, just to make sure some company gives me health insurance, you know. So Totally. So that was just amazing, fantastic. So That's great, yeah. When we were looking at your site, it's, you know, obviously geared towards wedding photography and videography. Um, do you do anything else besides weddings? Do you do other events or uh, like? Yeah, we do corporate events as well. Um and, and the reason why I chose weddings, which it, it obviously is not as prestigious as working on Star Trek, but um, <laughs> I looked at it as a, as a business that never really goes away because I needed to make sure money was always coming in when I'm not working as an actor. You can't, you can't just, I mean, I'm, I've never been the type of person to play the starving actor. I mean, even through Deep Space Nine, I was still working as a server at Marie Callender's up until probably the last two years when, when I was just doing episode after episode after episode, I'm like, okay, I can't even, I mean, I was, you know, calling in, I'm not working, I'm not working. And eventually I said, ah, I think I can quit now. <laughs> but I was pretty much for the first five years of Star Trek, I was still serving tables. Oh, no kidding. And wow. so I've always been one to make sure money was coming in, sure. even if it wasn't huge, but I needed a, I, I can't just sit idle and, and not make money. I, it's freaky. It freaks me out. So, um, so that's what this was all about, you know, was to make sure that there was constant money coming in, but we got hurt, you know, from the recession as well. And our business slowed down mm-hmm. and then the winter time is always tough. So that bugs me. Oh, winter yeah. time, you know, December through March is the scariest time of the year for me. So, but you guys stand out, you know, your, your photography really stands out. Um, I went through it and, and looked at it and, you know, as opposed to something that just documents an event, um, you guys seem to really capture the emotion of it. And they're almost like little individual vignettes rather than wedding photos. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of more now. Well, I mean, it, and again, it's videography versus photography. Mm-hmm. But the videography business um, has really changed, too, where it is a lot more artful and, 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 and you know, people that are actually trying to make movies to do that to, to offset their income and put a lot of creativity into it. And I, I couldn't do it if I wasn't proud of it. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to put something that looks pretty poor up. And, and my partner and I both have a pretty high standards for our work. So, um, you know, and, and thank you. That's nice of you to say. Uh, I usually don't talk about it, uh, to be honest, uh, at Star Trek conventions because I think people have a, they go, why are you doing weddings now? I mean, sure. you're on TV, you know, and I'm like, well, I mean, you got a TV show for me. Hook me up. <laughs> you know, um, it's not, it's not, I, it's not as simple as it always sounds. And, right. If you do not have something else to offset your income, then then it it just it does you you're you're gonna then end up having to quit. And I don't want to quit. I just yeah. wanna I just want to keep that fire burning, even if it's very small, because it's tenacity that turns that keep people come back and around. I mean, look at the guy from um, uh, what's his name? Uh, he played Freddy Krueger in the in the last installment of Nightmare on Elm Street. He was pretty big back in the 80s or the 70s. Uh, Are we talking about Robert England? 
No, not Robert England. Okay. It's the it's the person that played that character on the new version. The new oh, okay, yeah. He was yeah, in Breaking sure. Away. He was in uh, Breaking Training. Um, uh, I'm gonna look his name up. Uh, Kelly Kelly something. Uh, anyway, he's an actor that was huge. That was getting. That was on a gonna really take off from uh, Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, and then his career kind of stalled, and and he you know started doing something else. And, um, and then over the years, I mean, it's been many years and he just started working again and, and being a, a very strong character actor. And I thought that I was like, that's, that's awesome. Jackie Earl Haley. That's it. Jackie Earl Haley. And now his career has been re reignited again because somehow he found something else to do while he wasn't working and kept nurturing the other side. And, and then he came through again. So yeah. it's funny that you mentioned that, that other people think that's strange or whatever, but Chris and I are both, you know, in creative fields too. And for us, that just sounds normal. We're, we're always having to try and pick up, you know, side work and whatever. When you right. do anything creative, it's always like you're doing several things, you know. Absolutely. So, I, guess, yeah. I guess it could be my own perception and my own disappointment of, you know, wanting to, you know, obviously continue to act. And, and then I thought after Star Trek as well that auditions would keep coming and they got thinner and thinner until almost really nothing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was a difficult time and especially to my priorities changed, but it's funny because I got exactly what I asked for. You know, I asked that I wanted to have this business that would pay my bills and allow me to keep going on auditions and be home with my boys. But I think I forgot to ask that I wanted to keep working as an actor because <laughs> I still have all those things. I have all of them. I just, I'm not, I just don't have any shows that are coming through or any movies coming through. I keep hoping that someone that was a huge fan becomes a, a big writer or a director or a producer and calls me up and says, oh, man, I love you. I want you on my show. Totally. You know, that's what I keep hoping for. But, um, but it, it could be my own disillusionment with my own goals in my own life and feeling that I'm disappointed in how I see myself other than that I've achieved the goal of being home with my kids and, and all of that. And, and, you know, as you, as I struggle just as much as a lot of people do these days financially and, and, and trying to make do, I'm not, you know, sitting on top of the hill, you know, with some large mansion and, you know, and partying every weekend, you yeah. know, and I think sometimes with actors, people have those kinds of perceptions a Absolutely. lot. I mean, imagine if you heard that, you know, I mean, I'm not obviously Robert De Niro, but you know, De Niro, you know, now shooting weddings out in New York, you know, it'd be kind of, whoa, you know, it'd be a little, it'd be a little off. Like, well, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. We, we can't speak for all fans, uh, but we can definitely speak for our audience and for ourselves. Uh, we're honestly, we're super interested in obviously Star Trek. But we're also interested in the actors and their current lives and what's going on with them. So all this stuff is is gold. We, oh yeah, this is the kind of stuff that we definitely like to talk about on the show. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I guess I wish I could say I've got a movie coming out this summer sure. and I'm going to Australia uh, at the end of the year to film a, a TV show. You know, I I would rather have that kind of stuff to say um, many times, and I, I think that's it's it's probably more about me than everybody else, but. But it is what it is, you know. You do Absolutely. You do the best you can. Yeah. And, and it sounds like you have your priorities set. I mean, there's so many people out there that put their careers before their kids, and kudos exactly. to you that you didn't do that. That's that's oh, awesome. Yeah, totally. You know, I'll have to thank my dad for that because that's what he did, and so obviously I grew up going, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, um, that's exactly what he did. He put his career before me, and um, and uh, I knew he loved me, but it pissed me off. Sure. And. Yeah. Um, so there was no, in a way I overcompensated though, because I, 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 it was, it was really hard to find a balance when my priority was being home with my boys. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, definitely. No, it's it's fantastic that you do that. And how old are, are your kids now? Uh, one's 14 next month, and the other one will be 12 in July. Oh, and wow. the other thing that I've – oh, this is a, something that I wish – now, here's what I wish if career-wise when I ask myself, okay, would I rather have a movie or would I rather be involved somewhere professionally – or not necessarily professional, but getting paid, like coaching soccer or, or assistant or working in the, in, the, in the soccer, in the sport of soccer uh, or football, which is in Europe. And that's what I love doing. I mean, I coach soccer now for six years. I love coaching soccer. <laughs> I love awesome. it. Um, I wish I could get paid to do that right now, to be honest. I, I really enjoy I, I think one of the things that I have a strength for and I haven't been able to figure out how to make it work is, is teaching and motivating people. And um, I'm able to do that with soccer. I don't get paid for it, but I love it. And I wish I could get paid for it because in that, I, I think I would do that um, more than anything else right now if I could. I really enjoy that a lot. But That's very cool. Yeah. So Unfortunately, though, I'm not a professional soccer player, so none of the – None of the, the soccer players would really respect me, but I would, would love to be involved somehow in um, MLS soccer. I really like MLS soccer a lot. That's great, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You get to go out and you get to uh, – is it for, for younger kids that you're – Yeah, I coached, my, I coached my older son, and then he didn't want to play anymore, and so I coached my younger son, and I've been coaching him now for quite a while. And, and we've got kind of like a quote-unquote club team that, that, we, that we've been working on now for seven months that – that we're still, we still, we just got back from a tournament this last weekend out in Palmdale, um, and we had they had to play in a storm. It's kind of funny, but uh, <laughs> I don't think rare, they wanted right? that again. And we got another one. We got two in April and uh, one in June, and then take some time off and come back in the fall. Awesome. So um, I love that, and so that's the other problem that I run into a lot career-wise. I'm like, well, I don't want to stop coaching soccer either. So <laughs> it's got to fit in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to fit it in, but I don't get paid. See, what happens when all the things you want to do, they don't pay you for? You know? Totally. Yeah, totally. we're actually running into that with uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. the whole website and podcast thing, but we do it because we love it, so yeah. we completely yeah. understand. Indeed. Yeah, and we actually saw you in Vegas last year. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, we saw you speak, and then we were at the DS9 breakfast. Um, and got a chance to talk to you a little bit. And anybody out there, if, if you see that, and you can check our site because we are always, uh, this is for the people listening, we're always uh, posting new conventions. If you see that Aaron's going to be there, definitely go see it. He's great to listen to. Uh, do you have any conventions that you're planning on doing this year? Oh, man, they don't like me at conventions. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any. I swear. This is, this is a sore point for me. So if somebody out there is listening, this this pisses me off. <laughs> Some actors go to the same convention three or four times, and I've never even been there. Jeez. I'm not I'm not kidding. It is ridiculous. I have never been to FedCon. I've never been to FedCon. Oh wow, um, that surprises uh, me. I've never been to Motor City. I've never been to DragonCon. Um, there are so many conventions. I have not been to, and there are other actors that will remain nameless that are there like every year or every other yeah. year. Now, yeah, maybe they're totally. not getting paid. Maybe I expect something. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a demanding person. <laughs> I'm really not. I think the problem is, to be honest with you, is that I, I, I don't charge for an autograph. All I do is like if I've got photos, you buy a photo, I sign it. But if you came up to my table, I'm at a table, and you bring a cup or you want a photo, sure. Um, and, and, and maybe the, you know, uh, the promoter, I work, I'm, I, you know, the promoter brings me out, but I, you know, I'm, I'm very easy going. I'm not demanding. I, I, I don't think I've ever thrown a temper tantrum or I don't, you know, have a drunken episode the night before. Uh, 
but I never, I don't get any calls any at all. Um, it's so weird. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm doesn't make astonished. Any sense. Yeah. You know, we actually know a couple uh, of convention uh, We're totally going to have to tell them you wanna, about you. Yeah. If you want to call them that. <laughs> we know a couple guys out here in, in Texas, and we're actually originally from Orange County. I moved out here uh-huh. a few years back, but we know a couple guys out here. We can put in a good word. It, yeah. Yeah, uh, I would. appreciate that. But I do think there is one problem with, with my character um, at, in conventions. I, I think I'm not a huge draw. I'm not saying that people don't, you know, enjoy my character on the TV show or what have you, but I'm not a huge draw, so I always have to, I do believe that I have to be coupled with some bigger draws in there, Um, but, um, you know, I think the perception that I was a kid is a thing that I think a lot of people think, oh, he's a kid, you know, eh, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather see, you know, uh, Chase, or I'd rather see, um, I'm trying to think of a, a... who played Seven of Nine? I can't remember. Oh, Jerry Ryan, yeah. There you go. I'd rather see Jerry Ryan. She's hot, <laughs> you know. And I, I think, you know, or you know, the the, the big guys, you know. Um, and and that's okay. That's okay. I, I've kind of come to terms with that to some degree. And it'll happen many times at a convention. You know, you'll be you'll you'll see the actors there. And sometimes it's weird at a convention. You kind of feel like you feel like an uh, animal in a zoo in at the zoo. <laughs> Because people come by and, and they look, they go, and then they look at their sheet, the program sheet, they look and go, and they talk to their husband, they're staring at you, and you're like, uh-huh. And they're like, uh-huh. Who's uh-huh. And then they, they don't even acknowledge you. They just go to the next table. They run. Oh, who's that one? Uh, oh, that's what I want. And they walk yeah. up. You know, and it's like, well, you know, you could say hi. How's it going? You know, it's so, it's very surreal in a way sometimes yeah, at, at, at conventions. Is. I love going to them because I really like meeting people and, and it's fun to travel and, and, and make a little extra income is also nice. Sure. Yeah. And um, I have to say, I've been very blessed. I've been to Europe many times and have been many places, and I've met many, many fans of the show. And, and you know, they've all been very nice. Everybody's always nice. I've really never met – I don't have any crazy stories. I have one or two. That's it. Mm. And, I, you know, and – I think that's a wonderful asset to to this uh, genre, and, and obviously you see it explode with all the other shows and, and movies that have come out since Star Trek, because now fantasy as well as sci-fi is is so um, strong these days. Um, but uh, you know, I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky. I've had a lot of conventions. I met a lot of people. And, if if you listen to this and you're out there and you've met me and you come out and said hi, I appreciate it. So it makes me feel good too and I, I appreciate if you've enjoyed my character in the show and you all kept me working, you know, you all kept my dreams alive. So that's awesome. Thank and, you. and we're lucky to have you on the show and it's been an absolute pleasure oh, yeah. talking to you. Indeed. We, well thank you. We do have one last question that we always Absolutely. ask. Sure. I'm I'm good. It's it, we we normally ask what's your favorite episode? Uh and it doesn't necessarily have to be from the show that you're on, something that maybe touched you in the show, in, in DS9 or maybe one of the other series. But what is your favorite uh, episode of Star Trek? Well, I'll, I'll be a little selfish, to be honest with sure. you. Go um, for it. I, didn't, yeah. I didn't honestly get to watch all the shows. Actually, my younger son's asking to watch them now because he wants to, he wants to see, see me on TV now. <laughs> uh, and I've never showed them the shows uh, uh, at all. You know, I'm like, ah, you know, it's no big deal. But uh, my favorite one was uh, It's Only a Paper Moon because specifically because the writers trusted me with that show. I felt that, 
you know, year after year, episode after episode, I always thought would be my last. I thought, you know, I don't know how long I've got, you know, if I screw up, if I'm not doing well, if people don't like my character, or if my acting's not up to snuff, they're just not going to call me back. I didn't have a per episode, I mean, I didn't have a, I had a per episode contract. I did not have, like, a certain number that I was going to get per year. I did not have a regular contract. Um, So every time I got a script... I, I had the mentality that this was it, that this, mm. this might be the last one. Next one, you know, Rick Berman uh, is going to send me out the airlock, uh, <laughs> you know, flying forever to go. So when they gave me uh, Paper Moon, that told me that, that they had always believed in me. And uh, as, a, as a, not only as a character, but as, a, as an actor and as a person. That's and awesome. um, so for that reason... Um, that show will always be my favorite and, and have always be close to my heart because I felt that I reached the furthest I could reach on that show, you know, yeah, right and there. It shows. It definitely shows. It, yeah, it, it definitely shows. And, it, and again, it, it's one of our favorites. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And again, thanks so much for joining us. Um, you know, absolute pleasure. And if you're ever out this way, we'll definitely stop by a convention and say hi. We won't stare at oh, you. Oh, thank at your you. Table, so. <laughs> yeah, and people, if, if you don't want my photo, that's okay. Just, you know, hey, how's it going? Uh, fine. We'll definitely fine. do that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much again. Yeah, again. Oh, thank you guys. It was a pleasure talking to you. You too. Thanks. All okay. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was our interview with Aaron Eisenberg. We hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did uh, bringing it to you. Uh, we have a, another episode that's in the can uh, that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, so make sure to look for that. Uh, if you've never been to our site before, it's subspacecommunicate.com. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash subspacecoms. Facebook, uh, it's facebook.com slash subspacecoms. Uh, and be sure to go out there and like us and friend us and tweet us and all the stuff that the cool kids do on the interwebs. We'd like to give a shout out to a couple other podcasts that are good friends of ours. Of course, you guys know TrekCast, trekcast.com, but we'd also like to talk about Geek Fights. Uh, Damon and the guys over there always put on a fantastic show uh, doing a cage match uh, with some really iconic uh, stuff from comic books, TV shows, superheroes, whatever. But you can check them out at geekfights.net. We'd also like to say hi and, and give a shout out to uh, Scott and Miles at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. You can check them out at scifidinerpodcast.com. So that's episode eight of Life After Trek. Be sure to keep an eye out for our next episode, episode nine. We're not going to tell you who's on the, the show just yet until we actually get it out there, but I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. But until next time, live long and prosper. <laughs>